from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquidnet, coming to you from New York City. Also in New York is Imogen Rose Smith, an investment fellow with the University of California. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us from Impact Alpha's world headquarters in the San Francisco Bay Area is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hey, good to see you guys again. Uh, Good to be with you both. Now, David and Imogen, when the 116th Congress comes into session, Democrats will control the House and Republicans will control the Senate. There will be little room for compromise. But one of the few areas for bipartisanship could be, in fact, an infrastructure bill. Does impact investing offer a solution that could work for both sides of the aisle? So, Imogen, help us out. Is an impact infrastructure bill the panacea that everybody uh, keeps on telling us about? So this is one of these examples of where I think you've all lost your mind, right? Like where, you know, the house is burning down and people are like, but impact investing, it'll be fantastic. You know, I think that, like, (laughs) the chances of getting an infrastructure bill through the next Congress are slim to nothing. And, you know, I understand the political conversation. I understand that everyone's like, hey, you know, jobs and compromise, it'll be fabulous. You know, we all know that we are in a radically different political environment from one that has ex- any of us have experienced in our lifetimes and frankly anyone in america has experienced in their lifetime it seems highly unlikely that there will be anything much called compromise over the next two years and it seems highly unlikely that infrastructure legislation will pass both the house and the senate and be signed into law by the president And if that were to happen, it seems incredibly unlikely that the clean and renewable energy agenda, which is clearly key to any kind of impact infrastructure bill, is going to be anywhere involved. So I don't think there's much cause for optimism in Washington. Um, That said, I mean, there are, you know, there are hopeful factors like, you know, the Uh, House Democrats are talking about renewing the Climate Change Committee. You know, clearly there are things to be hopeful about, but I wouldn't hang my hat on legislation coming out of Washington that is going to be beneficial to impact investing. I think that we have to look to other places. And if anything, you know, all signs into signs seem to indicate that the situation in Washington is going to get worse before it gets better. I, I completely agree with that. And I think as a political analyst, you are spot on about the prospects but I don't think that's actually our our sweet spot to talk about here, which is more like, what can we do about infrastructure in an impact way? And I would argue it's both green, as, as you say, but also social and inclusive and, and, and participatory and engaged and democratic and all those good things. So um, I'd like to say, you know, what could we learn, you know, as, as, as we were talking about before the show, you know, maybe it's at the state level, maybe it's at the city level, maybe it's municipal bonds, maybe it's other kinds of financing mechanisms. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that don't require Congress to act that would both be good public works projects and, you know, restore the actual crumbling infrastructure and then also good economic boosts and good basically uh, investments, I think, also for, you know, so so let's, let's get down to what, what actually might work. And I agree with you. And I think there is a lot to be hopeful about in the, in the states in particular, that you are going to see, you know, some states have already passed legislation, some states passed legislation, and it didn't get signed by the governor because at the time they had Republican governors. Now they have, de- there's a sort of what's being called a green wave of democratic governors and legislatures coming in. So I think there, there is a real 
sense of hope and opportunity. Um, I do think just to just to cut in on that, I think there's something that may run counter to what you said about green infrastructure. I think that actually may be something that Republicans could come around on. They don't necessarily even have to buy in on climate change to know that, you know, solar and wind is beating the pants off of fossil fuels for cost in, in many cases. And that, you know, utilities are, are, are firing up the, as they say, the marginal power plant is going to be wind or, or solar now because there's no fuel costs. And there's all sorts of economic reasons why the renewable revolution is rolling on as you say, as states have to refurbish their electric facilities in any case. So um, I think that's obviously a, a bright spot. But Imogen, when it comes to infrastructure, is, aren't there, a, this is a series of uh, strange bedfellows where you have the impact folks who are very keen on getting private capital deployed for this measurable public benefit. And then there are the more, uh, you know, small government uh, minded folks who are interested in privatizing public resources. Um, and so the traditional R&D and uh, you know, conservative and democratic labels kind of get switched around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I've always thought that this is one of the interesting things about impact investing. And you see it, it's, it's, it's clearly not just a U.S. thing, by the way. I mean, I see, you see this very clearly in the U.K. You know, a lot of the early movement in impact was about taking some of the burden off government. Um, and so the idea of public-private partnerships was very popular under both the last Labour government and the following Conservative government. God only knows what's going on in the UK now. Um, so, yeah, it crosses both political divides. Clearly, that is less so in the US right now, right? I mean, I think that, you know, David, the idea that sort of Republicans can embrace solar on economic grounds I think it's too it's too bound up in politics and ideology for that argument to be holding weight in you know the consensus of the Republican Party. Yes, there there still exists what we would call fiscally conservative, socially liberal Republicans for whom that would make sense. But that that group is getting smaller and smaller, and it's become so politicized that that you know it's hard to find a common ground for action. There is uh, something to Brian's question, though, which we noticed here in California. I mean, so one of the interesting sort of maybe strange bedfellows things is that, you know, in many cases, the impact innovative finance solution, as you say, to take the burden off government is also, you know, has the effect of, of being effectively a privatizing scheme because you're bringing in private investors to do things that the public sector used to do. And you can argue, well, the public sector is not doing it that well, so we need the private sector. Or you could say, well, where's the democratic accountability? And that you know, frankly, I think is where the impact investing community has some role to play in ensuring that even if there's private money at play, that there's public accountability. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting place to... David, how, how does impact investing bring in public accountability, right? Because it still is private actors operating in the private marketplace. And well, it's all kinds the, of, it basically is sort of self-regulation, hopefully in the context of better governance, better management, you know, and then and, and this is a test case in the Opportunity Zones legislation that's, um, that, that everybody's raising these funds to go into low-income neighborhoods and, and do um, investments that get these capital gains tax breaks. There's no accountability. No, there's no reporting. There's no transparency required by the law. The impact crowd is working as hard as they can, both to get it into the regulation, but also to try to enforce that as a way to, you know, as some kind of code of conduct that funds will will undertake. But here's the, here's what I wanted to, the example I wanted to bring. We just had an interesting case in California in the election where there was a water bond and Californians, you know, 
you know, people say it's a high tax state. One of the reasons is we keep voting to, you know, tax ourselves and, and, and whatnot. And there was, you know, a string of, I think, nine wa straight water bonds that passed. And then this one on the ballot the other day didn't pass. And people started scratching their heads. Why? And one of the reasons is the money did not go through the state budgeting process per usual. It went actually as grants to the private actors, the farmers and others who were going to build these water projects. And it felt like, I guess, to some voters who may have read the red, fine print that, you know, it was public money bailing out private or, or, or financing private projects. And that's not exactly, first of all, the reputation or the brand that impact investing should have. And secondly, it's not the kind of structures that, that impact investing should have. There, there still needs to be, you know, public accountability and, and, and democratic governance. And yeah, so I mean, water is a great example of what you're talking about, right? Like the, the, the idea of privatizing water is something that leads people very uncomfortable. On the other hand, we know that we need to fix our water systems and our water infrastructure and that something needs to be done to ensure water security. And that money isn't going to come from governments alone. So coming up with solutions to those problems is something that impact investing has been working on very hard. But yes, it does lead to you know, as you guys point out, like strange bedfellows, like, you know, farmers being a great example, you know, farming is both essential, and also one of the main problems for water in California, how do you balance those two issues? And I actually agree with you, that this is somewhere where I think, you know, the stuff that impact investing, the impact community does well, stuff like measure, measurement and monitoring and those kind of things, can be by, by the way, that's adorable that you think the impact community does, does okay, that well. Okay, but... talks about it a lot. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that is, you know, and stuff that, you know, bores the hell out of me. Like, that is a value add or an alpha, if you like, that impact investing can bring to these kind of projects ding, ding, ding. and these kind of sectors. We're starting a second drinking game, David, but every time you mention Opportunity Zones... <laughs> um, I think I think you're absolutely right about water being the what is the right word litmus test acid test, which is um, because you know there's there's all sorts of economic arguments of why actually putting price on water and letting you know the markets decide actually brings it to the highest and best use and people will talk that argument you know for for hours. Um, it runs, you know, more or less straight into the face of people's sense that, you know, water is a public good that should be supplied, you know, sort of to anybody who opens the tap. So, um, you know, that argument will rage on as all these infrastructure projects get financed and built. You know, these things will increasingly come to the fore. So and history has shown, you know, that there are many, many stories of like terrible infrastructure projects that have been you know, public private projects funded often by like, you know, public pension money and stuff like that. And so, again, a real question here is going to be, who, who are the money managers for these kind of deals? And particularly when we're talking about clean and renewable energy, I think one of the really interesting things to look at is, you know, do we see the investment managers who have may historically been very successful and made a lot of money in sort of high carbon infrastructure, you know, so like the Ariesers of this world, the Apollos of this world, are those the guys who step forward and start, or uh, KKL? as another example, are those the ones that step forward and start doing renewable and clean energy projects? How should investors feel about that? And how does the impact investing community feel about that? 
Well, do do we penalize them for what they uh, what deals they've done in the past, or or do we uh, engage with them because they have the expertise to get the deals of the future done? Yeah, exactly. The argument would be these guys are the best of the best, you know, and they are driven by money. They have the expertise in energy infrastructure. We should go with them. Or do you say sure, but these projects are different, and or you know, how much of their revenue is still being generated from these other types of projects? I think that's a really good point, Imogen. And it's not just did they do oil and now they're trying to do renewables. It's also what kinds of projects and how they're financed. And there's a bunch of extras that one is, as is, you know, centralized versus distributed, you know, so is it a, is it one massive you know, roll in the bulldozers project, or is it, you know, sort of everywhere around the country, around the world, that's what's one vector. And then the other obviously is green and, 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 and brown. And then the third is like over what time horizon and what kinds of cash flows can be mobilized, right? So these big projects obviously need a cash flow to pay back the financing, but can part of that cash flow, for example, be in carbon credits on the California carbon market or in wildlife diversity credits or wetland mitigation credits or 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 can part of those you know be sustainable you know commodity production by local communities i mean there's all sorts of ideas that the impact world has been you know experimenting with over the last 10 or 20 years that can be brought to bear to make these infrastructure projects be look quite different you know than 20th century infrastructure yeah and i mean you bring up local communities right and that there is the potential there again to find ways to bring parties to the table that do their best or do a much better job of engaging and supporting the local communities and finding jobs and being helpful rather than sort of being disruptive to local communities and economies. I just had a moderated a panel and I had Morgan Simon as one of the panelists and she's been uh, a guest on this podcast as well and she and she raised the example of a wind project in Mexico that, you know, would have created quite a lot of, of renewable power, but also the terms of the deals with the local landowners and farmers were quite exploitive, basically. And there was a huge protest. And uh, in the end, that the wind project got shut down. And she was arguing that this is, you know, at some level, it's a victory for community you know, participation, community empowerment at the other level, you know, the wind project didn't get built. So is there a way to make such projects, you know, be, you know, wealth generating and asset asset generating and, 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 and wealth building for local communities and, and have them buy in and, and participate and, and be part of it as opposed to, you know, being sort of, you know, the victims of, of wind infrastructure, just as they've been the victims of, say, oil infrastructure. Yeah. And so this is this, I think, again, is a great is a further reason for thinking about who the asset managers in this space are going to be. Are they going to be the traditional private equity and infrastructure managers? Because on the one hand, those managers would argue, hey, we now have, I don't know, what do you want to call it, like 30 years of experience dealing with stakeholders, right? That these problems come up, you know, every single time we try to build a pipeline through the Hudson Valley, we have to deal with stakeholders, right? And, you know, there are examples and, you know, that they're constantly, you know, there, there are constant examples where they have to do land mitigation, where they have to come up, you know, create jobs where, where they are working on these issues. So they've become quite experienced on, in, in doing so. On the other hand, you could take the argument, side of the argument that says, yes, 
but they haven't, you know, there are all these people who are protesting and, and who have been displaced or otherwise negatively impacted by these projects. And it's clear that in the past, managers have seen this as an irritant to overcome rather than an integral part of the process. So, so are they are they necessarily the best tools to get this kind of work done? Well, just like it was adorable for you to praise Impact Investing for for being good at managing, it's even more quote adorable for you to praise the history of private <laughs> equity fund managers for their for their for their for their I'm commitment not, to I'm community not participation. It. I am giving the <laughs> argument that they would give, which is not like you know. It's you have to be, you know, that's, I mean, that's how half these guys got into ESG, right? It was from doing big deals and being, for, but here's the thing that's interesting. They're, they're, you know, it's by doing deals and by being forced to work with community groups. Um, so, well, yeah. I think that might be a good, a good uh, sort of, you know, call to action to leave this on because I think what you're, what we're saying is that there's not likely to be a bill in Congress anytime soon or anything that looks looks like we might want it to be but we can kind of model some of the some of the structures and some of the processes and frankly some of the projects themselves such that when the time comes for there to be an infrastructure bill there's a kind of good body of work for folks to point to about how to do it right yeah and I mean we clearly don't have this stuff is already happening it's already taking place at the state and local level that's taking place in other countries, right? There's no there's no reason to sit around and wait for Washington to get its act together. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thanks to David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith. And special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at impactalpha. If you like this podcast, consider telling two other people about it. You can also leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. If you don't like the podcast, maybe keep it to yourself. Kidding, we love your feedback. Drop us an email at editor at impactalpha.com. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you, in some sense of the word, next time.